This week's Torah portion is among the most pivotal moments in the history of our people. The story is well known. It was the second year after the Exodus. The community had received the Torah and the law at Mount Sinai, and the Promised Land was now beckoning. The original plan was to enter the land now, not four decades later. And so Moses sent out 12 scouts, the leaders of the tribes, to inspect the land. None of the estimated two million Israelites had ever seen the land, including Moses. And Moses wanted to give the people courage, confidence, and strength to seize their destiny. What better incentive, he thought, than to send the leaders of the tribes to report back how beautiful and bountiful, how promising is the promised land. After 40 days, the delegation returned. They reported that, indeed, the land was flowing with milk and honey. They showed the fruit of the land that they had slept back. The grapes were so big that the Clusters had to be borne by several men. Everything God had promised was true. There was only one little problem. Ten of the twelve leaders were adamant. We cannot conquer the people living there. And they unleashed a storm of unsolicited negativity. All the people we saw there are giants. In comparison, we are like grasshoppers. They will crush us. They are stronger than we. Two of the tribal leaders, Joshua and Caleb, tried their best to persuade the people to push on. But even they, even Moses himself, could not change the people's minds. In response, God decided that no one, save for Joshua and Caleb, would enter the land of Israel. The people would wander for four decades and die in the wilderness. Their children would inherit the land. I've long been fascinated by one particular verse. If this passage is the pivotal moment that determined the future of our people in the wilderness, then the pivotal verse of this pivotal moment is surely this. Lama Adonai mevi otano el haaretz hazot linpol b'cherev. Halo tov lanu shuv mitzrayma. All the Israelites railed against Moses and Aaron. Why is God taking us to this land only to fall by the sword? It would be better for us if we were to return to Egypt. And they said one to the other, let us head back to Egypt. Let us head back to Egypt? Are you kidding me? Of all the things they could have said, of all the actions they could have taken, out of the blue, they demand, let us go back to Egypt. Egypt, the house of bondage. Why not say, 
I don't know, let's just stay out here in the desert where the giants will never find us or threaten us. That's what they could have said. They could have said, we can make a life for ourselves out here. Or they could have said, you know, perhaps we can find a little corner of the promised land where there are no giants and we won't feel like grasshoppers. Or they could have said, let's send out another delegation to find another land with less scary inhabitants. Let's return to Egypt. There must be something deeply rooted in the human psyche that yearns to return to where we have already been, especially if the way forward is so uncertain. Great literature is based on this human impulse to go back, the desire to return home, wherever and whatever home was. Odysseus returns to Ithaca. Gulliver finds his way back to England. Dorothy returns to Kansas. Frodo returns to the Shire. All of us daydream about the past, idolizing those good old days as we conveniently ignore, minimize, or forget the hardships we endured. My high school class of 1977 recently had a grand reunion. All of us reached the age of 60, and we wanted to celebrate our beginnings. It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful thought. Most of us hadn't seen each other for 42 years. It was easy to speak with fondness, affection, even love for each other and for that time, conveniently forgetting how difficult those teenage years really were for us. We respond to the same impulse collectively as well. We idolize and idealize the past. Even slavery seemed preferable to the Israelites, less scary than continuing the march into the unknown. This innate human need to return to our past that we remember as our golden age, carefree and gentle in comparison with the harsh uncertainties of the future, this human impulse is so deep that skillful politicians can exploit our nostalgia for dramatic success. Make America great again. Again is the key word. Were the phrase simply, make America great, what a wonderful rallying cry that would be. But this powerful human need to restore what was is so overwhelming. Even if it is a fictionalization of our memories. Paradise lost and regained. Once we were great, let's go back and make America great again. We conveniently forget, minimize, or ignore how difficult were those days, how we struggled against injustice 
economic insecurity, disease, poverty. Nostalgia softens the injustice of American slavery. We romanticize the Confederacy. We built monuments to traitors, seditionists, slaveholders, taskmasters who fought against freedom. In the words of Ulysses S. Grant, recalling Robert E. Lee's surrender at Appomattox, one of the worst causes for which a people ever fought, and one for which there was the least excuse. Let's go back to Egypt, cried the Israelites. Think of that. The slavery that they knew was less terrifying than the unknown journey forward. Here is the lesson for our times. To make America great requires moving forward, not backward. Freedom, that soaring principle that the Jews first introduced to the Western world. Freedom for all, including the lowest of human beings, including slaves. Freedom for the slave is manifest only through a never-ending march forward, not backward. America's greatness is in our willingness to move forward. The promised land is not behind us. It is yonder, beyond the horizon, unlike other religious traditions. Judaism asserts that our golden age is not in the past. For us, the Messiah has not yet arrived. The Messianic era is in front of us. Humanity's task is to evolve, generation after generation to move forward, and to come ever closer to the promised land. And when our generation's time is done, our children continue the march. The journey is long and treacherous and filled with disappointment, insecurity, and uncertainty. It is hard. It takes a long time. But keep the faith, especially you young people. We can get better. People's attitudes can change. This is the greatness of America, our willingness to continue the long struggle to live up to our highest ideals, what Lincoln termed the better angels of our nature. Our greatness is our willingness to continue to evolve towards a more perfect union. Witness the large majority of Americans who were horrified at the murder of George Floyd and now better understand what the black community has been telling us for decades. The virus of racism is structurally and systemically rampant in American society. That legislative changes were long overdue. And look at the speed 
with which some of these changes have already unfolded. Think of the history-making decision this week in the Supreme Court, upholding the rights of the LGBT community. Think of how it came about. The decision was written by a conservative justice, supported by a conservative chief justice, whose conservative views compelled them towards a contemporary interpretation of a 56-year-old Civil Rights Act that the 1960s legislators could have never imagined in their wildest dreams. I suppose that you can make the argument that Justice Gorsuch was simply applying his textualism jurisprudence to the text of the Civil Rights Law. But that would be an injustice to a half century of struggle of the LGBT community, which eventually forced society to accept a new understanding of sex and sexuality, discrimination, and constitutionally protected rights. A judge with Justice Gorsuch's jurisprudence would have never written this decision 50 years ago. Today's conservative justices were responding to cultural and political dynamics built up over decades. Do we want to return to those days? Is that what they mean when they tell us, make America great again? On the question of sexual identity and constitutional protection, America is far greater now than it used to be. On the issue of LGBT rights, America is far greater now than it was 50 years ago. Keep hope alive. Change the culture, and the laws will follow. Change attitudes, and politics will comply. Eventually, a new generation will arise, children who are not beholden to their parents' desire to return to a less promising landscape. They will march ever for forward to freedom, to the promised land. Nelson Mandela entitled his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom. In it, he wrote, there is no easy walk to freedom anywhere. And many of us will have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death again and again before we reach the mountaintop of our desires. I have long walked that long road to freedom. I have tried not to falter. I have made missteps along the way. But I have discovered the secret that after climbing a great hill, one only finds that there are more hills to climb. It is a long, hard walk to freedom. It runs through the desert. 
It requires not only the removal of chains, there must be internal transformation, a determination to continue to walk forward with resolve, resilience, and a spirit of sacrifice. Today is an important day, June 19th, commemorated by the African-American community as Juneteenth, the day that the emancipation finally arrived to the slaves of Galveston more than two months after Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox. Historian Elizabeth Hayes Turner writes, in the name of one of the heirs of the slaves of Galveston, the way it was explained to me, the 19th of June, 1865, wasn't the exact day the Negro was freed. But that's the day they told them that they were free. It was the same for our people. The day the sea parted was not the exact day that the Jews were freed. They became free when they told each other, we are free. We are not returning to Egypt. We are marching forward to the promised land. We cannot see it yet, but we know it is there, yonder, beyond the horizon. We will get there, and when we do, we will find a good and bountiful land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where every soul will sit under vine and fig tree unafraid. Amen.